As you could see uh, in your bulletin and, and as you just saw in the video, uh, today we're going to be talking about future. We're not going to be talking about the past in terms of how that weighs us down. But it's really about how we cheat our future because of memories from the past. We need to stop cheating our future because of those memories. Have you ever been held captive by the realities of that? Right? Have you ever been held captive because of your past and of the problems that you had in the past? Maybe you're not smart enough, not good-looking enough, not rich enough, not cool enough, right? So many things that tend to stop us in this world tend to keep us back from perhaps the groups that we want to be a part of. You know, the, the people that we think have it going on, that we want to be associated with. Have you ever had those problems to be accepted as a success in this world by the world standards? You know, I, I, I'm sure if I, if I asked for hands, everybody's hand would be raised there. Now, how sad is it, though, that oftentimes even the people closest to us can be those that can be what remind us of our past, what keep bringing up our past to remind us of what we can't do, what we can't accomplish. You know, this, this week, God woke me up at 3.30 in the morning. It was on Monday night. And he gave me this specifically for this morning. I don't know why completely, except that this is a struggle for most people. And as we get into this, it's going to be something that I don't know that people ever fully conquer, even as a success. You, you talk to people in the world that are great successes, and, and I know some of these people that yet in their personal lives, and they're a mess. They don't feel like they're a success. They don't feel like they're moving forward. They are not where they want to be as a person, but yet they have this incredible success. And then you have other people that have not moved forward in their lives like they wanted to, and they feel bogged down because they never could escape their past. They never could escape what they felt that they fell apart on or weren't good enough at. And so often, the people closest to us are the ones that remind us of this, especially in the world. Now, I like to think that's different in Christianity. And it should be, but sometimes it's not. There are always those people in, in your lives that want to remind you of the past. See, the real problem with that are not the people in our lives. The real problem with that is that that is spoken into our ears from the enemy. That is coming directly from Satan trying to tell us we're not good enough. Trying to tell us we don't deserve Jesus Christ. We don't deserve any success in our lives. We don't deserve to feel even fulfilled in our lives. 
I don't know about you, but I think most people can relate to that. Even those who are high achievers that set their standards so high and don't meet those standards. Everybody can relate because when you become a Christian, you become a target of the enemy. And the enemy wants to keep you in a place where you are not being used by God. If he can discourage you to the point where you don't feel there is any further to go, or you don't feel like you are capable of doing what God has already ordained and called you to do, then he stopped you in your tracks. See, because it starts with us. The Lord doesn't come down and doesn't say, you, you are saved now, so boom, I just completely change you. You're a new person, and, and bing, here's what you're doing, and you just go into your little clone area and do what I tell you to do. It doesn't work that way. See, we, when we get saved, we still have this exterior flesh. We still have this past that we deal with. Depending, and depending on when we get saved, that can play different parts. I was saved when I was young. So my past was not one of, like, say, Todd White. I, I really I had a video I was going to show of his this morning. Only problem was it was 20 minutes long. <laughs> It was so good, he's one of my favorite speakers. But Todd White, he was saved out of, out of a horrendous life. He was, he was a drug addict, a drug dealer. He, he had been in and out of prison. You know, he had a messed up life. And God radically changed him. It was a direct 180. Okay, so his past was predominantly affecting his life. So it doesn't matter if you're on that end of the scale or on, say, my end of the scale. When I was saved at nine, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't saved out of drugs. You know, I wasn't saved out of, out of, you know, going out and robbing people or anything. I, mean, I was nine years old in a Christian home. As a matter of fact, the only difference between the day I got saved and the next day was the fact that I knew I was going to heaven. Right? My, my life didn't change a whole lot. However, when we get saved later in life, it may tend to be more like Todd's. But in either case, there are histories, whether it's before we're saved or when it's while we're saved, there are histories, our past, that we develop, things that we are not happy with in our life that Satan wants us to hold on to. He wants to keep us down. He wants to tell me there is no way that you can build a church. There is no way that you can preach the gospel. There is no way that you can reach out to the world. There's no way you could do that. And here's why. And he'll start to list the reasons why. You know, you have no money, you have no friends, you have no da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And he starts giving all these reasons that begin to make sense. And see, if I let it, it starts to control my outlook on my life. Can you associate with that? Where you're sitting today 
If you look at your future and you look at what God wants to do in your future, if you don't see that as bright, if you don't see that as effective, as fulfilled, as joyous, then there's a really good chance that the enemy is in your ear telling you, here's why it can't happen. Here's why. But I, I think it's important to understand the truth, right? So for the truth, we turn to the Word of God. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah 29.11. Very simple verse. Let me give a little background on this verse first. At this time that this verse was written, okay, that Jeremiah wrote this, it was written to the children of Israel, but they were in bondage. They were currently enslaved in Babylon. So what he's about to tell them was different than their current reality, right? What's he say in verse 11? He says this, again, Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, or some Bibles say good. Plans for good and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. There's two things there I want to point out. One, his plans are good. His plans are to do good for you, to do good to you. Why? That's the second part. And to me, that's the most exciting part. Why? To give you a future with hope. To give you a future with hope. Where you're sitting today, do you have a future with hope? And I'm not talking about, he wasn't talking about when they're finally with him in heaven. He was talking about their time on earth. He was giving them a future and a hope. See, he does that with us. He gives us a future and a hope. Where you're sitting right now in your life, do you think of the rest of your life as a future and a hope? Hope of that future? Or is Satan telling you there's not much there? The good years of your life are past you. All you can hope now is just to hang on and one day you'll be in heaven and it'll be all good then. Are those some of the things you hear? You know, you're, 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 not, you're not worth God doing anything with. You don't know the word of God that much. You don't do this. You don't do that. See, you don't, you don't deserve to be used by him. You don't deserve to have a future of hope in him. You're just, you're lucky that he's taken you out of heaven. Be thankful for that. Just sit back and just wait for that day. Do some of those things ring a bell? I know they do. They did with me. Many times in my life when, when you're in the thick of something tough and you look forward and you see that, boy, that looks just as black as what I'm in right now. I don't see any hope. I don't see any future in what I'm doing See, that's what the enemy wants you to believe. But the Bible tells us something different. The Bible says, I have plans that are good for you, plans for your welfare, 
and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. See, I want to go over a few examples of this. Because the Bible's chock full of examples of people that had systematic points in their life when they lost hope. Or it didn't seem like they were going anywhere. But yet we know them from the end, and we see, wow, what God did with their lives. All right? Let, let's, look at, let's look at a couple of those here. Let's look at Moses first. I want you to turn to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. And, I mean, you guys know the, the story of Moses. Okay, Moses was, was born when... Pharaoh was killing all the, all the kids under two, so his, his parents put him in a basket, put him on the river. He was found by Pharaoh's daughter, right, and raised in Pharaoh's household. You know the beginning of all that. Okay. In verse 10 is where we're going to start. Chapter 3, verse 10. Well, no, you know what? Before I read this, let me explain what happened. For those of you who don't know, Pharaoh, as he's raised in, in or uh, Moses, as he's raised in Pharaoh's house, he, he's basically like a son, right? He is, he is high up in their government. You know, he, he is given all this honor and all this glory. And as he gets older, right, he is probably about 40 years old, right around there, when he starts to see how his people, the Israelites, are actually treated. And God starts to do a work in his life. He, he starts to see this. He, doesn't, he sees how unfair it is. And he steps in, and he actually takes action. He kills an Egyptian, okay? Thinking that he would be the savior in their, in their eyes, that he was there to help them, it actually backfired on him. The Israelites then became afraid of him. See, they didn't see him as an Israelite. They didn't see him as someone that was there to help them. They saw him as an Egyptian. They saw him as somebody in the house of Pharaoh. And now, you know, he killed this Egyptian. Certainly he's not going to care about us. So Moses, when he realized that, he fled Egypt. Okay, he fled Egypt, went to Midian, and, and he, he went out into the wilderness, okay, fleeing everything that he knew. Now, remember what his past is. His past is royalty, right? His past is everything he wanted at his fingertips. And this isn't just for a few years in his life. This was for the first 40 years of his life. 40 years of having everything he wanted. 40 years of having everything at your fingertips. And now having to flee in fear because of what you've done. So he flees. He goes to the wilderness. And now he is stepping into the next phase of his life. Moses' life was basically broken down into three phases. The second phase was in the wilderness. The second phase he became a shepherd. Right? He was out there tending sheep. He, he found... A girl got married, you know, was in with a family, but completely opposite of his life in Egypt. Completely opposite. So can you imagine some of the thoughts that Moses had? You know, he's out there tending these sheep, 
and wow, that's, you know, goes, goes to dinner after a long day and that dinner table looks a lot different than it did in Egypt. <laughs> you know, he didn't sit in a nice, comfortable chair. He didn't have servants coming and serving him like he did in Egypt. See, in his mind, Satan can start telling him, this is what you deserve. You know, you killed that Egyptian. This is what you deserve. Thou shalt not kill. You're not supposed to remember. Remember what Cain did to Abel? You're not supposed to kill. So this is what you deserve. That's it. See, God is punishing you. He is punishing you. That's why you don't have all these nice things anymore. So he spent 40 years, 40 years basically, in the wilderness. So you can imagine now you're getting up, getting up in age thinking, this is really the end of my life. This is really all I have left to look forward to. These sheep, my family, but there's no way God can use me. Why? Because I sinned. Because I sinned against him, I killed and I had to flee. There's nothing he can do in my life. But then he walks past this burning bush. <laughs> and you know the rest of the story, right? The Lord spoke to him through the bush. And that, that brings us up to verse 10 where we're at. Verse 10 in chapter 3 of Exodus says, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So what God's saying is, look, I have a plan. I know you're getting up in age, but I have a plan for you. And by the way, it's not all that small. Right? What's he say he's going to do? I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. That's no small task. That's what, that's what he wanted to do before. He wanted to free up his people before, 40 years earlier. So now he's had 40 years of Satan telling him, God never wanted you to do that. God's never going to use you in that. He's never going to even equip you for that. But now you have God telling him, yes, I am. And you would think... You know, apply that to your own life. You would think that your, your reaction would be, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I, I believe that and I'm excited about that. I don't know about you, but if I walked upon a burning bush and I heard the word of the Lord say, take your sandals off, you're on holy ground. Listen to me, I am God and I am speaking to you. We would think from, you know, this vantage point, we would listen, Right? I mean, that's God. How do you not listen to that? See, the problem is he had the enemy in his other ear. The enemy saying, yeah, he may want you to do that, but you're not capable of doing that. You don't even deserve to do that. You don't deserve for him to even choose to have you do that. What was his response here? Verse 11, he said, but Moses said to God, who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. You know, who am I? And they go back and forth. And I want to go down to chapter 4, verse 1. 
Moses begins to give responses here saying why he can't do this. This thing that God actually told him to do. Now, as we're going through this, I want you to apply this to your life. Has God told you to do something? Has he revealed to you something that you're called to do? Do you see yourself in this story when he calls you to do something and you begin to have excuses as to why not? See, that's what Moses did. Chapter 4, verse 1. Then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. Lord said, what's in your hand? And he began to, he began to do two miracles with Moses. And we won't read through all this. He began to do two miracles. He gave Moses, he said, what's in your hand? Moses said, a staff. He said, throw it down. He threw it down. It became a snake. Moses jumped back. He said, don't be afraid of it. Go grab it. So he went and grabbed it by the tail. It became a staff again. Then he said, Moses, put your hand in, in, your, in your robe. He put his hand in, your, in his robe and he said, take it out. He took it out and it was leprous. And you can imagine Moses freaked out a little bit with that. He said, put it back in your robe. He put it back in your robe, pulled it back out, and it was fine. See, he was trying to show him, look, this isn't you. This isn't you that's going to be doing this. This is me. This is God that's going to be doing this in your life. You are simply the tool that he is going to use to do it with. See, in your life, it's the same way. When God has called you to do something, and, and perhaps you've given reasons why that can't be done. Well, God, I don't have that kind of money. God, you want me to start a church? We don't have money. Well, for that matter, we don't have people. <laughs> we don't have a building. We don't have anything, Lord. What in the world are you talking about? Are you sure you have the right person? Does that ring true in your mind? Think of something the Lord has called you to do. Did we make excuses as to why we can't do it? And then God goes and he shows, look, it's not you, it's me. Just as he did Moses. He did two miracles saying, look, it's not you, it's me. They may not believe that you were spoken to by God, but they're certainly going to believe the miracles that I do in front of them. Right? Let's go down to verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. Which is amazing to me because that seemed pretty normal. <laughs> He, he, he apparently could speak to the Lord normally, but now he's gripped with fear. See, when God calls us to do something, the enemy whispers in our, in our ears, you're not good enough. You're not equipped. He's got the wrong person. And that sparks a fear inside of us. If we let that fear fester, if we let that fear take root then our answer is, but Lord, I'm not qualified. I, like Moses said, I, I, I don't have eloquent speech. I can't do this. You've got the wrong person, God. I'm 80 years old. I've been 
40 years in this desert with sheep. How in the world are you picking me? Why are you picking me? It doesn't make sense. Then verse 13, he said, Oh Lord, please, please send someone else. So I won't belabor that story. You know how it ends. You know, God, God concedes in certain areas. You know, God conceded about the speech. He said, okay, fine, how about your brother Aaron? I'll speak to you. You tell Aaron what I'm saying, and Aaron will speak to Pharaoh, and he will speak to the people. Now, if you're Aaron, you're really excited about that because in Moses' failure, Aaron got to be part of something huge, right? But it was because of Moses' reaction that God could not use him in that way. So God gave a concession. He said, okay, that's all right. I'll do it this way. This wasn't my perfect will, but I'll do it this way, and I'll bring in Aaron. How does that apply in our lives? Oftentimes when God calls us to do something and we give him excuses, he then will concede in certain areas and say, okay, I'll, I'll do this for you, and I'll do that for you, but I still want you to do it. I still want you to have faith in me and move forward, trust in what I'm telling you. It doesn't matter what your problems are. It doesn't matter what your age is. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter your situation at work. It doesn't matter. Why? Because the God of this universe is calling you to do it. That's all that matters. That's all that matters to God. And we know the end of that story. You know, Moses and Aaron went, and, and over the course of those plagues, you know, Moses ushered the children of Israel out, out of Egypt, right? And the last 40 years of his life were mixed as well. But think about that. That wasn't on him. He did finally obey the Lord, and he went. And he took those children of Israel out of Egypt, got all the way to the promised land, and then the failure of those people and their fear held him back. But see, it was different at that point, because he was doing everything he was supposed to do. So, so I, I want you to get the correlation here of how he looked at his past and said, I can't do this. What if he hadn't done it? Wow, what if he hadn't done it? You know, what if nobody would have done what God called Moses to do? The children of Israel would still be there, right? Now, certainly God would call somebody else, and that's what we really fall back on. Well, I know, but... It, He'll, he'll call somebody else. It's not like it's not going to happen if I don't do it. But you see, you miss something really important when that's an excuse. One, you miss the blessing yourself. But you have to understand that the church of God is weakened. It's weakened because of what you're supposed to bring to the table. What you're supposed to bring in your calling is not there. 
Now, can God replace that? Yeah, he can work different ways, just like he added Aaron to the mix. But it wasn't his first choice. It wasn't his first choice, his plan of power. So when we choose to not do what we're called to do, we not only hurt ourselves, but we weaken the body of Christ. And that's something really important to understand. Let's look at another example. Let's look at Joseph. He's a really good example. Turn to Genesis chapter 37. And, and again, um, we're, we're just going to read a few of these things. But think about Joseph's life. Now, Joseph was one who, who was born, and he was the favorite. He was daddy's favorite. He was the youngest. Dad loved him. His brothers hated him. <laughs> and i got to tell you, if I was one of his brothers, I'd probably hate him too. You know, I mean, first of all, he's, he's daddy's little boy. You know, he got everything. He got the coat of many colors. You know, he got all the cool stuff. But then he goes and he does something else would be, which would be infuriating. He said in verse 5 of 37, Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'd throw them in a pit too. You know, I mean, things didn't start out that well between he and his brothers. Bottom line. So think about it from Joseph's standpoint. Now, I think from Joseph's standpoint... I, I don't know that he meant to, like, stick the dagger in and twist it there. You know, I, I have to think, based on the rest of his life, that he was revealing what God was revealing to him. However, his life got pretty tough. He was thrown into a pit, and they were going to let the animals, you know, kill him, and then they thought, then they, they saw this, this caravan going by, and they thought, well, no, let's, let's sell him into slavery. Even better. We'll make some money off this. So they do that. So think of Joseph. Joseph now is going from this favorite, daddy's boy, this favorite, now he is a slave. Okay, and he's a young man. He's, he's, he's now a slave. And the Bible goes right from there into how he had successes, okay, over in Egypt. But what you don't see is the time involved. What you don't see is when he is walking in this, this, this caravan, he's sold as a slave, this coat of many colors taken away from him, everything stripped of him. Now he is no different than the dirt they're walking on thinking, what happened? All that good stuff, what happened, Lord? See, it doesn't tell us those moments of despair. It doesn't tell us the moments where Joseph wondered, maybe I, maybe I shouldn't have told him the dream. And maybe I, I thought that was you, Lord. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. Maybe I shouldn't have acted the way I acted. There is no hope for me in the future. 
My future is slavery. That's all it is. I'm going to people that don't know me. My future is slavery. You can imagine what he was thinking. Imagine that in your own life when you go through something tough. You see no way out. You see no way out of what you're currently in. Certainly no way of God to be able to use it in the future. But again, we know the story of Joseph. And and his, just like Moses's, went up and down, up and down, up and down. You know, he, he, he became well-known because he could interpret dreams. Potiphar, who was, he's a bigwig in, in Egypt, he took him on, right? He was in Potiphar's house as a slave. He, he was able to interpret dreams. All of a sudden, now he's number two in Potiphar's household. He's in charge of everything in Potiphar's house. Okay, you can imagine going from nothing, or well, going from everything to nothing now to everything again. This guy's probably, if he's listening to the enemy, he's getting pretty confused. Whew, thank you, Lord. You got me through the rough patch. Now life's good again. Then comes Potiphar's wife. <laughs> and she likes him. He doesn't like her. Right? She tries to make a play on him, and he runs away. She gets a corner of his robe and says to Potiphar that he went after her. So now he's in prison. Okay, up, down, up, down. Now his life is found in prison, blamed for something he never did. Can you imagine his mind? I mean, as we read these stories, try and put yourself into the mind of the person. Can you imagine his mind? Lord, why? Why in the world? I'm I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. I'm doing what's right And nothing but junk is coming my way. I'm now at the bottom again. Even worse than the bottom because of what they think I've done I didn't do. How unfair is that? You can imagine the enemy in his ear. That's so unfair. Why would God treat you that way? Why would he have you do that? You know what? Why don't you just rot in prison? Be done with it. Here, why don't you take your own life, be done with it? You know, you got that heaven thing coming. Maybe that'll be better. You can imagine what the enemy was saying to him. Each of us have had moments in our lives where we're so low that we listen to the enemy. You're not good enough. You can't do it. What I've called you to do, God says, He does it. See, that's the basic lie, is that we don't do it anyways. Just like Moses, God said, look, here, just trust me. I'm going to do the miracles through you. I just need a living, breathing person to be willing to do whatever I say to do. That's what God's looking for. He's just looking for willingness. See, in Joseph's life, what ended up happening with him? Well, we know at the end of that story, he ends up being second in all of Egypt. Happens to be at the time of a drought, and he literally saves the country from drought and his own family at the same time. Again, not going into that whole story, but God took what undoubtedly Satan said could never happen, whispering in Joseph's ear, 
And God took it and he did amazing, immeasurable things. Right? How about David? David's another example. Think of David's life. He's a shepherd. He's a shepherd by himself. He has seven brothers. He's the youngest, hated by his brothers, because they're like, okay, any crap job in the family, we're going to give to David. Right? We're going to have him do it because he's the youngest, and he's a shepherd, and we'll just give it to him. Can you imagine what David must have thought? What would we have thought? Man, this just stinks. I, I have these sheep here, and I've, I've got nothing to do. Well, you know, God has a plan to prepare us, too. Nothing to do? Okay. <laughs> i got this lion that I'm going to send your way. I'll give you something to do. I've got a bear to send your way. I'll give you something to do. But he wasn't in a national way being used by God. Now, this was a young man, too. Now, remember, too, and we're not going to go through this. I, I would encourage you to, to look up his story, and that's in 1 Samuel 16, if you want to look that up later. Read his story, because after all of this is going on, even when, when the whole thing with Goliath comes up, and he goes and he hears it, and he says, you know, why aren't you guys doing something about it? And his brothers are saying, this is ridiculous, why are you even here? Okay, remember, all of that going on is after David was anointed by Samuel. See, David already knew that he was anointed to be king. At a young age, he was about 15 years old, he already knew all of this, but yet it wasn't happening. And by the way, he wasn't the only one that knew it. His whole family knew it. His father knew it. Because Samuel had them all line up, all the brothers line up, and, and, and Jesse, their father, lined them up by, by age order. The first seven didn't even invite David there. He was out with the sheep. And Samuel goes down, no, it's none of these. Do you have any other son? Well, yeah, I got this, this little kid. I got this kid in the field. Well, go get him. And that's the one. That's the one that got anointed. So they all knew that. But yet, he went back to the fields. He went back to being a shepherd. He went back to this life of obscurity, which we can relate to oftentimes. Think about your own life when, when you are in what we would call a rut. This life of obscurity. God, you're not even using me. Wait, you've called me to do this. I'm willing to do this. But you're not using me to do this. Why not? You can imagine that's how David felt. David knew that he was anointed to be king, but yet he was doing nothing. But then came that moment that God ordained and said, you know, go take to your brothers some food. They're on the battlefield. Go take it to them. And when he did, he heard the voice of Goliath, and that changed everything. So there comes a moment in our lives where if we walk in God's calling, even if it doesn't seem like anything's happening, even if it doesn't seem like things are going the way we think they should, there comes a point in that walk that God has ordained for something to happen. Perhaps that event will show up, that, 
that just like in David's life, Goliath showed up. That was his opportunity to say, why are you putting up with this guy? I'll kill him. So in your own life, are you waiting for that event? Or are you listening to the enemy saying, that event's never going to come. He's not using you. He doesn't want to use you. Look at what you did in your past. Look at the talents you had. You don't have anything to offer him. Why in the world would he want to use you? You know what? Just do what you want. Just do whatever you need to do to get through the day, to get through the week, to get through the month or the year. Just do whatever you need to do because he's not going to use you. What if that changing event were right around the corner and you didn't realize it? See, that takes us back to Jeremiah 20, 29, 11. He wants good for us. Why? For hope and a future. He desires good for us because of the future that we have. See, God knows that event coming up. He knows the miracle that he is going to perform to get us into the building that he wants us in. He already knows that. So what if we decided to take things into our own, our own hands and say, well, no, we, you know what? We found this place. We could just go here. Or even worse, this doesn't seem like it's going anywhere. You know what? Let's just stop trying. And you miss the event. You miss that catalytic event that God is going to use to move you into that position to use you. The thing you've wanted for so long. See, but that time between that catalytic event and the time when God first calls you is an important time. That's a time of preparation. That's a time of building our faith. That was like when he took Moses and said, here, give me your staff, or throw your staff down. And he, he performed a miracle. Here, put your hand in your robe. Performed a miracle. See, it's in these times that God begins to show us he wants to do it, not us. He wants to do this. He wants to build this church. He wants to do whatever he's calling you to do in life. He wants to do it himself. He just wants you to be willing. He just wants you to be a willing member of that body. and Say, yes, Lord, whatever you need. And however long that prep time takes, I'm willing. I'm willing to trust you in whatever. And there, there are just so many examples of this in the Word of God where people could have listened to the enemy, but didn't. And you see what God does in their life. Peter is another one. Peter's one of my favorite uh, uh, New Testament characters. You know, think about it. The guy was really a mess. I, I'm sorry, if you read the three years that he was with Christ, he really was a mess. He, he, was, he, he was very, um, yeah, had foot and mouth disease. <laughs> you know, he, he would do things before he thought. He was the one when they came to take Christ, which Christ said was God's will. He was the one who pulled out a sword and cut the Roman soldier's ear off. You know, without thinking, he, he just acts without thinking. 
You know, an interesting study is to take Peter's life before and after the ascension of Christ. It's, it's hugely different. Think about what happened at the end of Peter's time with Christ. He denied him. He denied even knowing him. This is the Messiah. Peter was the one who said, this is the Messiah. He was the first one to acknowledge that Jesus was the Messiah. And what was Jesus' response? Jesus said, Peter, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Okay, going from these highs, and now I'm denying Christ. Wow, these incredible lows. See, I think that's why when, when Jesus Christ rose from the grave and was there on the shore and Peter saw him and he was out in the boat, that's why he jumped out. Jumped out and he didn't want to wait for the time that it would take for the boat to row in. He wanted to be in Jesus' arms right then. Why? Because he didn't deserve to be. He didn't deserve for Jesus to love him like he did. He didn't deserve to be the rock that the church was built on. But yet he was. You read Acts chapter 2 and then throughout the book of Acts and you see what Peter's life was after that. And it was a stark difference. It was just huge, huge difference. That's you and me. If God calls you to do something and you mess up, and you have difficulty, and things don't seem to be going the way they're supposed to be going, don't give up. Don't give up. It is part of the prep time. It's part of what he is trying to teach you. Now, if it's something that you mess up, don't give up either. Because we live for a forgiving God. And just because we mess up, does not mean that that is the stamp of the rest of our lives. Every day is a new day. I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians, and we're going to close on this. 2 Corinthians, chapter 5. I'm going to read 14 to 21. What if we would just simply believe what the Lord has said about us? If we just believed what he said, how would that change our lives? 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14 says this, For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who might live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. I want to go down, let's go down to verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, what? He is a new creation. Some of your versions may say a new creature. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. See, we're a new creation in him. 
If you've accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, you are a new creation. That word there, the Greek word for creation is kisisis, K-T-I-S-I-S. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. But what it means is original formation. Okay, you're not a copy of anything. When you accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, he reformed you original. You are an original formation of what he wants. Believe that. Trust that. That is your source of power because you are not who Satan says you are. You are not what the enemy wants you to think you are. You have power in Jesus Christ. Why? Because it's not you. You were reformed into a new creation by the very creator of the universe to use how he wanted. I love the the example of a potter and a lump of clay. See, when you got saved, he took this lump of clay and he began forming it into something new, something original, not a copy of anything else. You don't have to look at somebody that's doing something that you want to do and copy them. You're an original. Let the Lord show you what he wants you to do. Because you have been uniquely made. You've been uniquely placed into the body of Christ for a single purpose. Not to copy somebody else. So see, if you don't do that single purpose, it hurts the body. There's something missing. Not to mention what it does for you. Every single one of us in here, bar none, if you have accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, he has purpose for you. He has intent for you. He has a job for you in this body. We need to trust him to prepare us for that even when it seems like it's not happening. Even when it seems like there's no opportunity. Even when it seems like there's no way. Work won't let me do that. You know, my my current situation prohibits me from doing what I'm called to do. You know what, just realize that You're in that prep time. You are in that time where God is preparing you to do what he has called you to do. Don't miss that catalytic event. Don't miss that time when Jesus Christ says, okay, now. Now I'm going to take your circumstances because you've been faithful and I've been preparing you. I'm going to take your circumstances and I'm going to shift them. And I'm going to begin to open doors for you that you can't see right now, but it goes right down what I have called you to do. And he's going to do that. He's going to do that. I I promise you. I tell you that from experience, that he's going to do that. I waited for years and prayed for years that he would call me into the ministry full time again. Because I didn't listen to him when he did it before. 
But see, he had to prep me. He had to prepare me for what he knew I would be called to do, even though I didn't know. I had no, no clue I would be called to start a church. No clue. I always thought I'd be a worship leader for the rest of my life, but, but full-time in ministry. But see, God needed to prepare me for what he wanted. So even that preparation sometimes didn't make sense to me. I didn't understand why he was taking me through some things that he was taking me through. Is he taking you through something right now that you don't understand? Perhaps something at work, perhaps something in relationships. Is he taking you through something that you don't see light at the end of the tunnel for? And just trust him. Because you're a new creation. You're originally formed to do his work. He's just preparing you. He's just preparing us. If we could take a snapshot of one year, five years, ten years down the line, we'd be so shocked at what God wants to do with us. Don't miss that opportunity because of listening to the enemy. You know, we have the authority to tell the enemy to leave, just like Jesus did. Get thee behind me, Satan. Get away. You have no authority in this place. You have no authority over my life. Why? Because I am a new creation. I am originally formed. Those weren't your hands, Satan, that formed me. Those were God's hands. You have no place here. You have no place in my mind. You have no place in my life. You have no place telling me that I cannot do what God has called me to do. You have no place telling me that I'm not good enough. You have no place telling me anything. Get behind me. See, we have that authority. God has given us that. Because we're originally formed. We're formed for him. He made us into what he wants us to be. We're different. We're unique. We're made specific to be placed in this body for an original purpose. We need to realize what those purposes are so we can function together in power and authority. Amen. Let's bow our heads.